What does Marin Tuck want to say about her life in that last minute of breathing? Never give up. Mm. I'll be saying, for goodness sake, and I say this to my boys as yeah. I'm lying there, with, yeah. getting my last breath, never give up, dream big, yeah. and make it happen. You said to yourself, in business, the only thing I can offer now is doing it the Merrin way. What's been the power of the Merrin way? Uh, I never focused on the money that I was going to make. If you put it like honesty, integrity and transparency, we're actually the hit team. You just had it around the wrong way. In fact, recently I thought we were the hot team and I was trying to work out what the O was, but as my second in charge said, Marion, we're actually the hit team. I was like, oh, of course. So are you seriously, you actually call your team the hit team yes. and the hit stands for? Honesty, having integrity and being 100% transparent. Hey, you've just joined... A journey with Bernie. Greetings, precious and beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of A Journey with Bernie. Yes, my name is Bernie Kelly, and it's such a joy to be your show host and to create these weekly opportunities for you and I to discover actions and strategies, concepts and paradigms, processes and routines that our guests suggest might just help you and I to find greater love for self, sustainable inner happiness, and more meaning in our humble lives. That, my dear people, is what this podcast is all about. I've been on the journey of discovering joy from first breath. Thank you, Mum and Dad. But gee, my professional coaching life of the last 30 years with corporate clients and students across the globe has certainly helped me to see more, to do more, and to understand how to be more. I'm a consumer of life, a lover of nature. I do know its power. And that's why I do want to take you to the summit of Kilimanjaro, the base of Mount Everest, the intrigue of Machu Picchu, or that epic spiritual adventure across northern Spain. Ah, the Camino. You will be invited. Of course, like you, I'm searching for answers too. And this is why each week we explore the thoughts of our wonderful podcast guests, some of whom carry a very high profile on both the domestic and international stage. While others, dear people, they are just humble people like you and I. But one thing is certain, they will all open our eyes to new possibilities. Hey, we're all on this journey called life, aren't we folks? Let's embrace it. Today, you put on your curiosity hat, put on your jacket of learning, and let's together explore life's possibilities on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Great to have you back for another Journey with Bernie. I think this is either episode 11 
or 12. But I'm excited by both, dear people, because this is the first time that we've got some female guests to interview. And I apologise for that. I just haven't been able to, to land the right people that supported the objective of the podcast, but we have really landed gold here with these two next episodes. I'm introducing you to Merintuck and the next episode with the wonderful Dr. Deborah Mills, who's the travel doctor here in Queen Street, Brisbane, and what she doesn't know about medicines and travelling overseas is not worth knowing. But that's the next episode, Merintuck is our guest here today. I need to own up. I've known Merrin for a couple of years. Can I share with you how I first met her? I own a property on the Sunshine Coast, and when COVID hit, I think I did what a heck of a lot of people wanted to do, that was renovate the property and maybe earn a little bit of income during COVID from Airbnb rental. So... I renovated, spent $60,000, whatever it was, on the property, got it right for Airbnb rental and hiring, and then had to go and find my agent. Well, I met with three agents. Right at the moment, Mirren Tuck's giving me a a confused look. I don't know whether she realised that I'd met with three agents. One of them were the high-faluting, big-wheeler dealers, the ones that own, you know, hundreds and hundreds of properties on the Sunshine Coast. And then there were these two 50-year-old-plus retired or looking to retire school teachers who wanted to create some additional income out of being Airbnb agents. When I first met with them, I asked them, how many properties do you manage? And I got back the answer, three. And I've just discovered that the three, one of them was their own and the other was another property that they knew about. They were only managing one property. But when I met Merrin and her business partner, Alison, it was clear to me that they were so service orientated. They were so hungry. I'm going to wind the clock here two years on because I can let you know that there are people all around the world in the Airbnb industry that are contacting Merrin Tark and asking her, how did you do it? How did you do what? She now manages 70, 80 properties on the Sunshine Coast. And I can let you know now that the feedback that she gets from client and guests makes her a standout. So much so that some of the big players in Airbnb have just recently invited her to write chapters in books. I know that she's featured on videos, educational videos. This woman is attracting great notoriety in the industry. And it's because, well, that's what the podcast is all about. She's an exceptional human being. I'm about to introduce her to you. Merrin Tuck, how do you cope with an introduction like that? Thanks, Bernie. <laughs> I don't really feel like it's about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is about you because your business really has accelerated and risen to great heights very quickly. Are you able, as a starting point, Share the story of the last two years, just just going through some of the highlights. Why has it risen so quickly? 
Uh, I think because of our brand. So we actually offer our clients an honest um, business model where they're going to make some good money. Um, We're completely transparent and, you know, we look after them. We obviously look after our guests really well because of the great reviews we get from our guests on Airbnb and they're put on our website. Yeah, we're we're sort of like we're really, um, I guess we've got high integrity, um, yeah, and we're honest. I hear three words there. I heard honesty. I heard transparency. I heard integrity. Is there an inference there that this is actually an advantage and therefore maybe others in industry, maybe not just Airbnb, perhaps acted differently, but you're almost advocating that honesty, transparency and integrity are actually winners and accelerating the involvement of your business? Yeah, and if you put it like honesty, integrity and transparency, we're actually the hit team. You just had it around the wrong way. In fact, recently I thought we were the hot team and I was trying to work out what the O was, but as my second in charge said, Mary, we're actually the hit team. I was like, oh, of course. So are you seriously, you actually call your team the hit team yes. and the hit stands for? Honesty, having integrity and being 100% transparent. Are these the values of the business or is it just part of the value set? Well, it's the values that I hold and if it's my business, they're now the values of the business. Well, I can share with you, that's been my experience uh, of, of you and even to do with either positive issues, uh, good news, um, and also about some of the things that um, needed to be addressed. You've always addressed them with honesty. What's the I again? Integrity and T, transparency. It could, T could easily be trustworthiness as well. Love you to speak a little bit more about why you see such values as such a powerful part of business that grows business evolves business, accelerates it even. Explain the power of it. Uh, That's a good question because I'm actually a teacher. Well, I was a teacher for 23 years. So it's taken me a long time to realise that now I can say I'm a businesswoman. Um, I've just lived my life with those principles and I've applied those principles to my business. Um, and it's obviously worked because people connect with me. Everyone wants someone who they can trust. And we ha- we do make some mistakes. You know, we're not perfect, but we um, learn from them, we own up to them, and we bounce back. And yeah. that's really important. I think, you know, even when I'm talking to new clients, I can tell them that the odd time might be um, really only one time that something's happened with a guest, you know, where they've done the wrong thing and, you know, how Airbnb coped with that and what we did. So, like, I'm straight up, you know, I don't try and pretend that, you know, every guest is going to be perfect because most of them are, but, yeah. So I'm just, (laughs) I just, you know, tell it how it is. Yeah, yeah. What I'm finding really, really fascinating there is you didn't enter into business with a traditional business model or business structures or this is the way that you did it you said to yourself in business 
The only thing I can offer now is doing it the Merrin way. What's been the power of the Merrin way? Uh, I never focused on the money that I was going to make. So I, look, when I first started the business, I still taught part-time. So that was, you know, that's helped me, um, obviously, feed my family and pay the bills. (laughs) But, um, yeah, this job was like a side hustle. And, um, And even to this day... I still couldn't tell you which property makes the most money and which makes the least. And I'm not interested really because I'm doing it for a different reason. I'm actually helping the clients and I'm helping the guests who can't afford the $1,000 a night. You know, they might only be able to afford $140 a night. I'm helping them make great memories in these houses. But are you saying those guests, for example, can only afford $140 a night through you can actually access a $1,000 per night property? Or a $2,000 a night property. Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry, Bertie, yours will never get $2,000 a night. <laughs> Some more renovations, perhaps. <laughs> I think I get all the $140 per night guess. <laughs> but this is amazing. Dare I ask the obvious question, if some people here listening to this podcast think, well, the purpose of business is you've still got to make a buck at the end of it. Are you making a dollar through this this? attitude this philosophy of business yeah well we are now because we're scaling up and obviously we're getting um, lots of clients who are recommending us to other people and you know sometimes um, we just we probably get you know maybe three four five inquiries a week um, from people who would like us to manage their properties so you know, we need to make sure that what we do um, is continue our five-star service to everyone. So I have actually sort of like um, cut back who we're going to take as clients, you know, yeah. just to just try and manage it really well until we can grow again. Yeah. You know, I need to be able to keep a handle on it yeah. all. So let me summarise what I'm hearing because I'm really fascinated by your your process your philosophy of business you focus on service you focus on connection with client that is the owner of the properties you manage their properties on their behalf that attracts guests all you're interested in is how you serve them that service, you mentioned it before, has resulted in a terrific connection that has leveraged and created more business. Mm. So your business just grows and grows. We mentioned it's gone from 3 to 70 in a very, very short period of time. And you're saying that the dollars sort of like look after themselves, the, 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 the financial Profit and productivity just sort of like emanates. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And I do have a fabulous bookkeeper who keeps <laughs> keeps everyone um, doing the right thing, and you know she does all the double checks, and so she's onto it all the time. But I just think it's like the boomerang effect. You know, if you do the right thing, um, you know, like there's miracles in my life that have happened and opportunities that I would never have imagined ever before. What's a miracle? When you say there's miracles in your life, is this where you do something and all of a sudden you've attracted, you know, some opportunity or some value or some people? What's a miracle in your life look like? 
Well, for me, I call them like miracles or God incidences. So it's just like that time when people come into your life and, you know, they perhaps give you something or they offer advice or they're like uh, in my chapter in the book that I wrote, you know, I call them my trail angels. I knew you'd get the chapter in the book (laughs) into the podcast. (laughs) Trail angels. Tell us more about trail angels. And miracles? Um, for me, it's just been um, a journey of really living in the moment, yeah. appreciating what I've got, but just being aware and open to what's actually going on. So, you know, just little things will happen. And um, I can think of something just obviously really recently that happened to me. Um, I just knocked on a door at an estate agent's nearby uh, where I live and I knew that no one was ever there and it was locked and Anyway, I took the number, rang the guy. The owner wanted a meeting with me. Um, Why? Why did they want a meeting with you? You just knocked on their door. I wanted to talk to them about renting out some office space. So you were looking for an office for host your home. Yes. And you were looking for a business office rather than operating your business from home. That's right. You knocked on the door. You got a phone call back. Yeah, and Justin from Blue Moon Properties on the Sunshine Coast, he's also got a business in um, Brisbane, but he wanted to meet with me. Um, I sat down with him, had a little chat, was ready to tell him how much I could afford each week, and he just looked at me and said, Merrin, I want you to use this office um, and there is no charge. We just want you to be here when you can be here so that um, the doors open and, you know, we'll get clients from you and we'll be able to give you clients. And so, you know, this is like, yeah, the universe working for me. So you have have a business office lease free. (laughs) This is another one of those miracles of life. A trail angel has appeared and, and helped and supported you. Is it because you... You give out so much servitude energy. You, you, you gotta. I've seen you operate in different ways. You know, for our listener listeners, Merrin also just recently came away with a terrific group of people to Everest Base Camp. So I saw the way that she operated in Nepal with the the Nepalese people and the and the students of Kagandra. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. This woman is servitude personified. So can I just ask you, do you feel it's because you give out so much that you also attract an equal amount? And not, maybe not equal, but you attract opportunities. I think what you give out on the Ferris wheel, you get back on the roundabout. So that's my little philosophy on life, you know, after all these years of living in, on this earth, you know, I... Um, I think um, I've read a, you know, read a lot, and this is obviously just my interpretation and how things have worked for me. It's like the game of life, you know, what you give, you get back tenfold, which yeah, is a bit corny, but it's um, that's how it feels, you know. And I've I've actually had this opportunity to play with this, I guess, um, these experiences because I'm not teaching. Like I'm, I have the freedom to take the time. Let me understand this. Disgruntled school teacher wants to get out of education. We'll come back to that one. Has an Airbnb property. <laughs> the reviews that she guessed from guests says, I'll become an agent. This is about two years ago. Now you've got 70 to 80 properties that you manage and you employ 20 people. There's something very, very special going on here and you're 
honesty, your openness, your trustworthiness um, is really powerful here in accelerating this growth. Could you elaborate on that for us? Just comment a little bit more about its power. How does it work? Why does it work? Well, I think everyone wants to be shown love, appreciation, respect and trust. So that's just how it works. You know, it's my team. So um, my team, you know, they're the geese who produce the golden eggs. So, you know, I value them hugely. We're a family. Um, I learn off them. They learn off me. And we make mistakes, we pick up and we keep going. And that's and, then, and I encourage them hugely um, to keep going, face it, keep going, and it's just like life. So some people have said to me they've learned a lot off me and I, you know, I, I sort of can't believe that. But, I mean, it's, I think it's the way we operate in our business, um, our generosity, uh, and they carry that on to their lives. But, but to be able to do that, you also say you learn a lot from them. So I've got this picture of, of you being the CEO, general manager, founder, call it what you may, it doesn't matter what the title is. But in a way, the 21 of you, if you're the 21st, you might be the 20th, the 20 of you get together and yet there is no status, there is no title, there is just different roles and you don't play power, you play honesty, integrity, transparency, you play authenticity, and this really works. Mm. It does work. And I attract, well, my business attracts those like-minded people, so they fit with my business. I'm not having negative people in my business. It's just not going to work. If mm. you've got something to say, I say, you need to say it to me. Mm. Um, I learn from you. You know, I'm not perfect and maybe that's one of the reasons why this this model works so well. You know, um, yeah, I admit, you know, if I've made a mistake, I put it on our WhatsApp family um, so that everyone can see, yes, this was something that happened. Um, you know, I need to be careful of this. You know, perhaps we all need to watch this, you know, be proactive about it. Um, but it's important for me to be human and it's something that I really applied in the classroom all the time. I think I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, and, and please forgive me for bringing up a sporting analogy, but there's a, these coaches that I, I keep on hearing in you know, high-polluting sport, they're, they're, they're playing A-grade sport, and you ask the coaches, what's your secret to success as they take a side that finished 15th last year in this second place or premiership credentials, and you ask the coach, what's the secret to success and the great coaches at the moment are saying, hey, it's all about relationship. <laughs> it's all about connection. Your connection is interesting, but because you also say that you're in it as much to learn from them as they are from you, yet you're the CEO. So there might be some people listening to this who are thinking, I wonder how much I go to staff meetings and ask the question, how can I manage and lead you better? How can I be more effective to you? That may not be the question you ask, but do you find yourself asking your staff how you can improve, how you can be better? Well, 
actually, Bernie, I haven't. So that's something perhaps I need to do at the next staff meeting. <laughs> but we do celebrate successes. So we, you know, we put on our yellow thinking hat, De Bono's yellow thinking hat, think about the good things. We put on the black hat. Well, this is how I tell them the problems. And I really um, I'm open to the green hat, which is the new ideas. And opportunities. Mm. Do they come up with new ideas and opportunities? Absolutely. And freely offer them? Yes, yes, because we go round and we just, you know, talk about like, you know, each person I give them a bit of time to, to have a chat. But I really make sure that they're part, they are part of my family and, in fact, the last meeting um, they got to see probably – 40 photos of my trip to Nepal. <laughs> I was I was waiting for them to try and sneak off out the door. Um, but, you know, they had smiles on their faces. I bought, I buy them coffee. I give them vouchers. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually on Friday. But, yeah, like I give them vouchers maybe um, from Dan Murphy's, you know, to celebrate yeah. our successes as a company. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so I really try and make it really personal because mm. I am so human, you know. Why wouldn't I? I actually heard on the grapevine that you, different to other Airbnb agencies, you actually negotiate with some of your clients. I know that I've said yes to it previously, but I don't know whether you've actually incorporated it in your business. You actually negotiate with your clients, the owners, for two free nights in their property to be able to give to your staff, one, is that true? Yes. Two, what's the reason behind that? Why do you want to give that to your staff? That seems like a heck of an advantage to the staff at the expense of the owner. Mm. What's the benefit to the owner and why do you give that to the staff? Uh, well, I think it started back in January when I stayed at a property over Christmas and um, not only did I have a fabulous time but I learned a lot about the local area. It was only Maroochydore, it was 10 minutes from where I live but I was the tourist, you know, yeah. and I we I took my son jet skiing up Maroochydore River and we went for coffees and, you know, we had a fabulous time. So I realised the benefit of, you know, really knowing the local area of the house I manage. So... Yeah, having talked to a few owners, they've said to me, um, look, this could be a good idea. And and I think that if, um, you know, it's done honestly, so I've offered it to my co-hosts, um, you know, I'm happy for them to stay, obviously not during the peak period, but to stay two nights as long as it's all approved and so that they get to know if there are any problems with the house. You know, it's being proactive about it. Just and know the local area because they're going to be communicating with the guests after I've done the initial acceptance. And, um, yeah, to be obviously more knowledgeable is going to be an asset to, to us. So if the co-host actually stays in the property that they are supporting, I'm assuming is a co-host also a cleaner? Do the co-hosts get to clean the property as well? They do. So in my business, um, when the cleaners or the presentation specialists, as I'd rather call them, um, when they've proved to me that they do a fabulous job, they're reliable, once again, they're honest, they've got integrity and, you know, once again, transparent, when when I think they're going to be a great fit, um, I offer them a co-hosting role in my business. So it means that... 
um, they get a percentage of my wow. commission and of the nightly rate. That's generous. Well, they do a lot of jobs for me too. So this is how my business can grow and they can be, um, ha- well, they're actually like managers within my business. Mm. You're totally unafraid to empower them. It's like they become managers of their own little micro business within your business. Is that how it operates? Absolutely. And I know other companies don't work like that and some of them would make a lot more money than me, but I don't actually care because I want them to have this, you know, have, I guess it's like a reward for doing the right thing. Like they not only get the opportunity to clean the house um, and get paid $40 an hour, which is pretty good, um, but when they do the right thing, they've got the opportunity to, yeah, to make even more money um, by it's almost like they have, they've said to me that they're, you know, they've sort of got ownership of the client's house. That's a big, big term because you're saying your staff own their business, but in owning their business, they're almost like part owners of your business, uh, the, the host your home model. This is a different model. This is a model based upon the philosophy and values of honesty openness, transparency, integrity, service, love, connection. Have I summarised it well? Sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to say, like, I didn't come up with this myself. I'd like to think that, you know, I was that smart. But um, I actually was um, supervised. When I first started the business, I got in contact with a lady who's very well known in the world. Um, her name's Julie George. And she had a business similar to mine in Cairns. Um, and so she came up with this model. So she has been a person who, um, yeah, a trail angel. <laughs> who wow. I, Yeah, who's been a big influence on what I do. Um, and she's excited that I'm doing so well and she loves what, you know, who we are. I'm out of place here. Here's my guess. I think if Julie George was listening to this podcast, I think she would have the right to feel Merrin may have learnt from me, but the way that Merrin has interpreted what Julie did in Cairns and took the structures and the way that she has implemented them is a reflection of Merrin and what Merrin offers and the way Merrin goes about it makes it ever so special and is the reason for your um, acceleration um, in your business. That's just my guess. Um, uh, Who knows uh, how she might interpret this, but I do know that you do it exceptionally well. May I ask your age because I'm then going to ask why you chose to go to Everest Base Camp recently because it appears to me that there's a lot of spontaneity and impromptuness in a lot of what you do. Uh, yeah, I um, I like to take advantage of the moment that comes my way and um, having read the book Itchy Go Itchy, uh, <laughs> it sits really well with me. So I'm not going to um, say no to many opportunities because they might never happen again. And so, so at the age of 50, eight. eight years of age, spontaneously, you just say, I'm packing up, 
leaving the business behind. Even that's an interesting decision. This is your business only after two years. I think you brought back Alison, the original business partner, said, could she look after it for three weeks? And you just pack up and away you go. Icky go, icky please. What is, what's that about? What's the, what's that principle? What are we advocating there? What does it mean? means the moment that happens, the magical moment that if, if you don't accept will never or may never happen again. Right. So we, I, we create it in our, um, in our houses. You know, we want those moments to be really special for the guests. I've heard it mentioned before in a, in a, in a way that goes something like this. You can meet a person a hundred times and be assured that the hundredth meeting is different than the first. It's different than the 52nd. Therefore, embrace each meeting as special. You're applying it to moments and opportunities that come your way are special and therefore be aware of having the courage to grab them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think once again, you know, if the doors open, you know, for me those, I'm looking for those, um, yeah, it is like, it's they're like, I guess, just green doors that keep opening. So wow. for me, um, that was your idea um, that you were taking some people on a trek and I thought, wow, that would be fabulous. And when my business, my first business partner, or my only business partner, retired from her government job in January, um, you know, I knew she was available and so she could take over the business. Yeah. So it was just a whole combination of events that took place. Let's not dwell upon Everest Base Camp for too long, but before you went on that 13-day trek, what was your personal perception of your own ability to make it, to get there? Let's stop with that question there. What was your, before you, you leave Australia, you're going to Everest Base Camp, 13 days, what's your perception are you going to make it? Is it going to be tough? Is it going to be challenging? Well, I had no idea. And I really, I didn't want to know too much about it. I was preparing the best I could, which was really only walking six kilometres <laughs> um, from my house to Point Cartwright every day with the dog. And I think I did, um, I did the hill walks twice. <laughs> So and a I a bit different than the Himalayan foothills. Yeah, absolutely. And I did, you know, I climbed the old mountain. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have a preconceived idea what it would be like. But I knew that I was going to give it my best shot. Mm. And you know, if I didn't make it, it was it wasn't going to destroy me. Um, but I was certainly going to give it a really good go. So you 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 are open to whatever the experience was going to offer you, whether that be making Everest Base Camp or not, that really is a, a very much living in the moment focus, isn't it? Mm, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we can have these expectations that are so high and then we get disappointed. So for me, it was like, well, look, you know, you know that you're going to get away from the business for three weeks. Mm. You're going to have a break. Mm. Um, you're doing something that you love, like being amongst nature, and you're going with a group of people who you really don't know, but you're going to make the most of it. So what was your actual experience? If you had to summarise in a couple of sentences, a couple of key learnings, a couple of maybe surprises, what did you actually gain from that 13-day trek amidst 
perhaps the most powerful forces of nature that are upon planet Earth, the Himalayas, including Everest herself. Mm. There are many things. I mean, one of them would have to be, um, if I look at just most about me, it was having that time just to just to be by myself in amongst the most beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places on earth and to be breathing in the fresh air, listening to the birds, listening to the river, the stream, the donkeys, the, you know, meeting the people, the Nepalese people and for me challenging my body. You know, I felt that um, this trip was well prepared and basically I really... um, I enjoyed following. I sometimes when you travel, there's so much to organize, and you know, you just you know, to, to trying to speak another language is often yeah. really hard. So with this trip, you know, these were things that um, I didn't expect. I didn't expect it to be so easy as far as actually being a holiday for me. Mm, a, a follower. I find that really fascinating. That. You, you're almost advocating to people that there are times and places in which welcome fellowship. Just follow so that you can be part of, not separate from. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. yeah, and you can experience the moment even more so because you're not having to worry about negotiating you know, all your transport or where you're going to stay and, you know, all those kind of things, the food you're going to eat. You know, it, I just felt that, yeah, I could um, let go of that. I'd almost advocate you bring the same philosophy into your business in the sense that when you are with your staff, you don't play leader half the time. You play equity. You're one of you're in there with them. You've even referred to them as family. Watching you over the three weeks in Nepal, you adopted the other participants as part of the Nepalese experience family. Um, my guess is is that in the classroom when you were the teacher, and we might explore this, I think, I wouldn't mind betting that you created family. You were happy to know when to be the leader, when to be the teacher, but also when to be uh, one with uh, the, the follower, equal with even your students. Can we go back to the classroom? Were you a good teacher? Uh, I think I was a great teacher, but... Um, oh, great. Did you say great? Yes. Great. Yes. Oh, hang on. I'm just outstanding. Outstanding. Wow. <laughs> Why would I say that? Uh, I think I was that because I guess my children, all the children who I taught, um, did well in my classes. They liked being there. So that's a really big plus. You know, they loved coming to school. In fact, I remember the first day of teaching this prep class, this little girl, when, you know, she was going to go home, I said goodbye at three o'clock and she turned around and came back and said, can I stay the night? And <laughs> I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so, that says it all. Um, and I did have a family in that classroom because I encouraged the parents to come in and I really appreciated their help. They loved coming in. So when you have parents sitting with the children and, you know, working with you, it's a team approach and it's a team no different to when um, I did the trek to Mount mm. Everest because mm. – that the group of people 
um, they helped each other, yeah. you know, yeah. and and made it enjoyable to do hard, yeah, hard yeah. work. People of different ages. We had three. 50 pluses, two 60 pluses, a couple of young bucks, um, all together. And yet, every one of them made um, Everest Base Camp, those that were on the, on the trail to, to base camp. Every one of them made it, despite different challenges. There were some that were three days out and struggling, and yet, in the environment, not only that the Himalayas gave us, but our environment, it empowered them, didn't it? That support empowered them to make it. And it was love, you know, like, yeah, we encouraged each other, you know, and checked in on each other. Yeah. And I think that's what we, that's what I did in the classroom. And many teachers, of course, there are so many outstanding teachers. There's a chance here, Miriam, that you perhaps don't fully realise that wherever you go, you're actually likely to be a catalyst for that environment evolving. You say that you brought it to the classroom. Um, I also know that you were a chief instigator of that environment on the road to Everest Base Camp. And I think we've heard it in your business that wherever Meryn Tuck goes, she also brings very powerfully that servitude, that love, that connection, and it creates environment that empowers lots and lots of people. Does that make sense to you or can you see that or is that something that doesn't sit well with you? Uh, look, it all sounds really good, but, you know, obviously there's been times, to be quite real, that have been so challenging in my life that, you know, I couldn't even give to someone else. So, you know, um, yeah, it all sounds soft and fluffy. and <laughs> Yeah, but the real me is someone who, um, you know, has been in painful situations and had to really learn some strategies, yeah, to keep going. One of those, um, if I remember correctly, actually happened as a teacher. So, so let's go back to those days where you're, you're in the classroom, you're generating terrific results. Every child is feeling an enormous success and feeling important, loved. A lot of the parents are recognising this and really enjoying their time with you. Um, but, but then something happened that um, tore you apart, that, that, that really challenged that philosophy. Could you tell that story for us, please? Mm. Uh, I am a 100% kind of person, so I do throw myself into things. Uh, and with teaching, you know, I was such a passionate teacher. Uh, and in my last year of full-time teaching at a school, um, I produced amazing results with children you know like they I had a very smart cohort of kids so they were preps they were really smart in fact the teacher and I used to have a little chat every now and then go is this are we getting better at teaching are these kids really good you know we had to really you know do a bit of a self-checks and um yeah this particular year the the kids just learnt everything and we and I took them as far as they could go uh I had 
15 children at the end of the year reading level 12 or above. So what they, does that mean? Because well, we don't, they I only, don't know what that means. Okay, so look, there are reading levels. Um, they only needed to read, you know, about a level 7. Wow. They were reading level 12. Wow. So 12 was like at the end of grade 1. That gives you an example. Mm. Um, and that's only just one assessment area. But, you know, they were writing fabulously. You know, I made sure that... The lessons were meaningful for them um, and we did lots of things like, you know, shared our successes. I had a microphone, you know, where they used to read their work to each other or to the class, you know, so it was really big time stuff and it was fun. And with the parent help, you know, they did amazingly well. And at the end of the year, just in a nutshell, um, while the principal was away, the deputy um, who for whatever reason, um, she wanted me to change my marks because I wanted to give eight A's for English. Yeah. And she told me to change my marks because the other two teachers only had two A's and three A's. Eight A's for what grade is this? Prep. What age are they? Six. Five. Five, why, five six. Why didn't they all get A's? <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very serious. And you're supposed to have moderation. Like, so... Teachers, when, you know, they spend a lot of time assessing children, but then there's a time for moderation where you have a look. You know, this is an A. Um, what's your A look like? What about your A? But we didn't have that in this this time. And while the principal was away, for whatever reason, we didn't get this opportunity. So when my writing samples were um, presented to her, she decided to have them remarked using a different criteria sheet to the other two prep teachers. Wow. And then she um, told me, after I wouldn't change my A's, that I didn't have any A's. Wow. I was the only teacher in the school who gave no A's for English. Wow. So why, why did... Oh, I can understand it, but I want to hear from you. Why did her request tear at the heart of you? This really made you reevaluate. I would suggest, almost the education system. Absolutely. Yeah. Elaborate. Why did it do that? Well, if you are the teacher and you are a passionate teacher, and that's let's face it, the goal is for you to educate the children and bring them to the best level you can. Yeah. And if someone else is going to try and control you, um, and you know, I can only yeah. explain it was the tall poppy syndrome, yeah. um, and then to me, you know, that was the most devastating thing anyone could do. Wow. So, like, almost on behalf of the kids, you just said you you just said to yourself, I, "I can't stay in this system." I couldn't even look. I didn't even think like that. I was yeah. a broken. I was oh. actually a broken person. Oh. Um, so I had to take leave for about, yeah for a year. Wow, wow. Hmm. I'm and making this up now, but let's just say that Taylor Pearson, by the way, who is a terrific producer and editor and cleaner of this particular podcast. Taylor's actually here. Let's say Taylor is the educational minister. And as a result of your experiences in education, you want to look the educational minister in the eyes and over 90 seconds say, we need to change this. This this has to be what education is all about. Currently it's not. What would be, from your experiences, what would be your suggestion of change to our educational process? To value the teacher's value the teachers so much um, and to encourage them to think out of the box. So I'm a very much a, 
think out of the box person. So, you know, that should be, yeah, like bring it on. You know, if you've got, if you've done some um, courses and you've read books and you want to trial things, you know, fabulous and it's working. Mm. Well, why wouldn't you want to keep it working? You know, why do, why do you have to be fit in a box mm. because someone said this is what you're going to teach? I still had to teach, obviously, the curriculum, but I was teaching the students, not just the curriculum. Come back to your comment. You said um, you've got to teach the child, not the curriculum. But teaching the child, does that infer that for teachers you've got to be prepared to connect with your student as a fellow human being? You're not just the teacher all the time, the elevated one, that there is a time to connect with them as a person, even though there could be 30 years age difference between your little kindies and who, who you were. Is that important? Well, it's the prep. They were prep, so it's different to kindy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's incredibly important. And so for me, you know, I would make mistakes. I mean, sometimes I probably did make mistakes, you know, when I was writing, you know, and then I'd say, oh, my gosh, that doesn't make sense. You know, I would model making mistakes. So the children learnt, hey, this is how we do it. You know, we're, we're, not, scared, we're not scared to be risk takers. Yeah. I think it's really important to be humble and and connect with them and have fun. So I I learnt through the Glasser technique, um, choice theory, um, William Glasser, yeah, he... Psychologist, I think adopted by a lot in education yes, as sort yes, of yes. like the, a framework for sure. teaching. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I think um, for me, you know, it, it explains how people are motivated to do things and motivated to even happy so um for example um the four legs of the chair are something that comes to my mind uh and so everyone has these four legs so they're based on fun um freedom freedom to freedom from empowerment and love and belonging and so when you've got sort of like a balance of those um, needs if they're being satisfied then you function really well so in the classroom situation you need to look at the children, um, you've got to make sure that your lessons cater for all, all those areas. You know, well, so yeah. What does the principle of freedom mean? You, you mentioned those principles, the four legs of a chair, uh, but what does the freedom bit look like in a classroom? Well, it's sort of like um, maybe it's like a rotational kind of setup or a contract. You know, obviously, you know, you're not going to be doing this, you know, every lesson, but, you know, giving children an opportunity to, okay, do, you know, one aspect of an activity first before you go back and have free choice of different activities or you know they can start with the drawing first and then do the writing or it's just something little you know it might only be little but it just gives them that little bit of control over yeah So, so, so the teaching process gave the students choice out of either doing A or B or going in this direction C or, or choosing that direction D, the choice was part of giving the students freedom. Mm, yeah, and it actually, and it works really well. I mean, I think it's the same with any of us, you know, if we've given, if we, I always, you know, teachers know what those children are going to be doing, what they want them to do, but mm. if how they go about, yeah, getting them to do it, um, yeah, can be a bit creative. Let's say Taylor was not the educational minister. Let's say he was um, representative of a lot of teachers, good teachers, 
teachers who are giving of their best, but you want them to be great teachers. What do great teachers do that perhaps good teachers don't? What would be your suggestion to teachers that there are a couple of uncompromisables if you're going to be really effective in the classroom? How do you become a great teacher? Well, I'd go back to that glasser, the, the four legs of the chair. You know, um, I would expect that those teachers are planning lessons that are fun. You know, there's, they've, they've got to have some fun elements. Fun? Yeah, empowerment. So make it, helping the children feel good about what they're doing. So, you know, not being compared to someone else, but, yeah, giving them an opportunity to feel really proud of themselves. The transition from this... 20-odd years of being a teacher? Wow. And then as a result of this experience, this rather tough, challenging personal experience inflicted upon you, you decided to make a, a, a transition. Now, I've got you Airbnb being your own home and yet you've left education or you're holidaying from education, you're taking a break from it, you developed new purpose then. You, you, you somehow placed yourself into a space in which you were leaving behind a 20-plus year purpose and existence and now you're searching for a new purpose. Can you, you share with us that journey there it's probably only a six month or a 12 month journey there but how do you transition yourself from one focus and somehow come up with another well it's not easy (laughs) so I did you know I took the time out but um you know I I had to put in place some really um important I get processes to help me um, adjust. And so, you know, I would um, ruminate all the time about, you know, how bad the situation was and how unfair it was. So what I would do would be um, give myself half an hour a day just to write down what went on and what I was unhappy about and how Mm -hmm. wrong it was. And then for the rest of the day, say, well, you know, now you're living in the now, we're going to move on, you're living in the now. So when those um, thoughts came into my brain, I would just say, no, you've already done it, nine o'clock's your time. So the next day I would give myself that half an hour to do it again and eventually Mm -hmm. I didn't need to do it. Wow, that's interesting. Did you learn that from a book? Well, actually, I did speak to someone about it, a okay. therapist, yeah. Yeah. So, but I could not have gone from the, that teacher to um, possibly having a business if I didn't have some self-care. So, you know, obviously walking was really important. I wouldn't even go out of my house. Wow. So I, you know, in my, when I reflect back, I probably had a nervous breakdown, you know. Sure. No one obviously said that to me. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't go out of the house. I couldn't sleep. And, and the lady I was seeing, um, the counsellor, she actually even said to me one day, she said, Merrin, for this week, your goal is to go to the plaza. I want you to shop. And, I, <laughs> and for those people who know me, they would be sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, you'd never let this woman loose. And, you know, like, she, I've been training for shopping all my life. <laughs> Which is why I love setting up Airbnb houses. 
But that's, you know, that was something huge for me. So I just had to take those baby steps. And this is the same with my business, same with the trek. One foot in front of the other. I didn't ever look too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go to the, I think you mentioned a therapist, uh, an advisor, a counsellor. He or she gave you a very special strategy. It was something about half an hour a day. Slow down, give us that strategy because it occurs to me that that could be useful to other people who are trying to work their way out of some painful or chaotic intervention in their life. And I would love to share it because it helped me so much. Um, Yeah, so she just said, I don't want you going over and over and over this in your head. And, you know, I would wake up during the night after dreaming about it or it was still going over it. You know, I'd wake up thinking, gosh, you know, I can't even sleep without thinking about it. So just having that time was like permission. So I could do it and then I knew... That was it, 9.30, from 9 till 9.30, that was my complaining time. And at 9.30, switch off. And Did you have an alarm clock? No. No? 9.30, <laughs> can't complain anymore? No, but it worked, yeah, it worked fabulously. Yeah. Why did it work? Um, I think it worked just because, um, you know, when things happen to us, well, for me personally, you know, I have the tendency to you know, to worry or not just to think how awful the situation was. And then, then of course, how can you live in the present because you're stuck in the past? Mm-hmm. How can you look for miracles? They might be knocking at your door. There'd be no green doors opening if you're sitting there with your red door, you know, so, yeah. Dwelling and mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. stuck in yesteryear, why did that happen to me? It's almost playing victim. And while you're living today playing victim, there's no way in the world you can see the green doors, that's your phrase, or see the opportunities. Mm. Yeah. Hey, uh, you've had another couple of life cards dealt with you that haven't been rosy too. There was... Um, Breakup of family, breakup of a marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Did you apply the same principle to to that scenario? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, so I have. But um, I find that the only way really to deal with that after you've done the half an hour, you know, is to send love to those people because I think no one wants to make a miserable like they did. They act the best way possible. And you know, if they're um, if it's a negative, mm. and you're obviously the one mm. copying it, mm. you know, I just try and send back love now because I think they don't, you know, they're not in a position to do anything different. I'm hearing a few things here because I'm saying, well, what else could you send back to them? Well, you could send back revenge and retribution, mm. and I'm thinking to myself. That doesn't sound like a very good way to live the other 23 and a half hours. You spend half an hour thinking about that and ruminating about that, as you just said before. But sending them back love, what did that do for you? What was the benefit of you thinking that way and and actually attempting to feel that way, whereby you could send back to your loved ones? that were once part of your f- marriage, family, what was the benefit to you of sending back love? 
I think it's um, forgiveness and it's being able to move on. Forgiveness of yourself or of them? Um, well, I guess it could be both, but yeah, possibly yeah. both. When you look at these type of situations, do you ever look at what role you played in being a catalyst for the pain and the chaos and the breakdown and the breakup? You know, how important is it that you that there is some self reflection whereby one takes personal accountability for the breakup, the breakdown, etc. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and. Um, yeah, look, I've I've actually written, you know, like a letter to myself, and you know, would write what I've learnt, you know, and actually, I I still write letter. I'm, I'm I don't get mail anymore, so. <laughs> except from me. <laughs> so you, you go you go to Australia Post and you post your own letter to your own address. <laughs> oh, I got a letter. Like shopping online, isn't I'm it? I'm thinking of that Meg, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks from You've Got Mail. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like I can't, um, I learnt this, you know, at a mindfulness course where, um, whereby you can actually visualise, you know, in six months' time and what, you know, you, you are, what you've learnt and who you are in six months' time and you can write it down. And actually recently I, um, I opened the letter and well, I had you written yourself. <laughs> I had written it probably about four months prior, yeah. and it was quite bizarre because everything had come true. Wow. And there was one thing I'd said about even the business. I it said that, and you will have now put on twenty presentation specialists. Right. And and actually, the day before, I had put on three more, which added up to twenty. <laughs> So I'm seeing this is a different type of letter because this is a visualisation letter. This is a letter that you wrote four months ago that was sort of like predicting an immediate future. Mm. But based on what I'd learnt from the pain. Okay, okay. So so the benefit or the process is to capture the learnings, to be really, really clear as to what the learnings are, even though they may have been inspired by a painful and chaotic episode in your life. And then to to manifest those learnings into what actions they might actually um, uh, create, mm-hmm. forecast those actions, and then four months later you actually opened up the letter and you went, wow, it like yeah, I've moved forward. Yeah, it moved forward, and left behind the pain and the chaos, mm. all of it. Mm. What yeah, is? I think so. Mm. What's replaced it? Does it get replaced? Well, or does it just disappear? I think when you're living in the present, you don't have room for the past. Oh. Mm. So therefore it disappears. Mm. Yeah. And living in the present, what flourishes in the present moment, if not pain and chaos of the past? Um, just seeing the, to me it would be the God incidents of life, the miracles that happen, you know, when you're awake and aware. Yeah. But sense? yeah, it does make sense. Although you 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 alluded before that God is love, mm-hmm. so you're saying that in the present moment, without giving too much energy to the past, there is a possibility that we might be able to touch a more loving existence. Mm, absolutely. Hey, this has been a um, a fascinating journey, Merentuck. <laughs> There's so many different discussion points. Huh? 
What's next? What are you, three years down the track, what are you looking for? What's important to Merintag? New challenges. That's when I learn the most, new challenges. And, um, yeah, let's see, one step in front of the other and I'm looking for trail angels. <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there a particular challenge, like a specific one, a specific outcome that is important to you? Um, my family, my boys. So I've got two boys. I've got a 32-year-old and a 13, it'll be 14 next week. Jacob and? Leif. Leif. Yes, yeah. What a crazy dude he is. <laughs> Takes after his mother. <laughs> yeah, and they're important to you? Oh, absolutely, as any children are. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, just supporting them on their journeys. Yeah, yeah. What else is important for Merrin, but that's that's Merrin as a as a mum. It's also Merrin as a person. Mm-hmm. Merrin as a woman. She wants to support her two boys. But looking forward a year from now, six months from now, what else does Merrin want to do that's important for her? Uh, I want to take the business further, so I'd like to have a hundred properties in a year t- year's time because yeah. if I'm doing the right thing and looking after everyone, then. Well, obviously, you know, I have a great team to support me, but um, they're getting value out of our business as well. So that yeah. would be good. So that would be, I mean, a business a business sense, yeah. professional sense. But a personal sense, like I just, I think I just love learning and evolving to be a better person. When you say you love learning, are you a reader? I am a reader. Uh, and uh, I've read, yeah, some mm. great books. So Name a few. Uh, three of my favourites. Well, one of the, one of them is it, that itchy, Ikigo, itchy, itchy. Eh? Yeah. It depends on how you. Okay, apologies, <laughs> apologies. Yeah, listen to it. Yeah. Um, and another one um, is the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey. Stephen yeah. Covey. What did you love about that book? Uh, I loved writing my mission statement. Oh. So it really, that grounded me and I did that probably when I was about 32. So I did a lot of soul searching and, um, and I think too um, something that was really valuable was what he said. He said, imagine you're at your funeral and you've got four people standing there talking about you. And so, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, great, got my four people. What do you want them to say? So I wrote down, you know, what I'd want them to say and, and then it says, you know, are your actions um, going to get this desired response from these people? And it really does make you think, well, hang on a minute, this is what I want this person to say, but am I really that supportive? Am I really a person who um, doesn't expect from other people or, you know, and so it really challenges your thinking yeah. and um, that really changed my yeah. life. So yeah. that book... Seven Habits of yeah. Highly Effective, Effective People. Effective People by Covey. You did mention a third book, but I've got a question about around what you just said. Let's not get quite to the funeral. Let's get to the last breath. And life flashes before your eyes. <laughs> oh, my gosh, she's gone for the tissues. Life flashes before your eyes. And you have an opportunity to summarise, what does Meryn Tuck want to say about her life in that last minute of breathing? Never give up. Mm. I'll be saying, for goodness sake, and I say this to my boys as yeah. I'm lying there with yeah. 
getting my last breath, never give up, dream big yeah, and make it happen. But if you're actually lying down there taking the last breath, you're looking back in the past, I'll repeat that back to you, you would say, she never gave up. That's right. She dreamt big and she, she loved, made it happen. And she loved. And she loved. Lots. And she, <laughs> and she loved life lots. For all those people that are listening to this and aware that the purpose of this podcast is how do we become a more loving human being? Now, I, I, I think you've given us loads of possibilities, but if there was one or two actions that you would advocate to anybody, do this and do that. What's this and that? How do you become a more loving human being? Well, Bernie, I'd have to say, you know, we're all on our own journeys, um, but just hand your life over and go, here. you look after it. (laughs) That (laughs) That is handing it over to faith and and belief. But that's provided you believe in Yeah, well, give it a go. Give it a go. What would you say? To those who don't advocate a faith and belief in a God, and you can't say, go and find one, (laughs) what would you say to, let's just say, those humanists, uh, I think some people call them atheists, it doesn't matter what we call them, right, but who wanted something here on earth in just the way they operate their daily lives, what's one or two things that you would say Please do this. Please do more of that because this will bring more love in your life. Mm. Well, it'd have to be, you know, getting back to just love one, and love one another as you love yourself. You yeah. know, be your neighbour's friend. And just I think that positivity about stepping forward and giving love, you know, yeah, that's, that's what life to me is about. How do you know when you meet someone and they're a really loving person? What behaviour do you see from them that says that person's a really loving person? What do you actually... And therefore, you'd say to anyone listening to this podcast, this is a behaviour that would be valuable if we all practised it more. Oh, I think um, their ability to reflect on themselves and grow mm, and not try and sell me anything. You know, wow. be, be um, stand by their principles. Be real. Mm, be real. Be authentic. Be authentic. Stand by your principles. Forgive me, I got Ken Packenham episode number one where he just spoke about you have the courage to be your values. I think we're talking about the same thing here. Be authentic. Be authentic, be real, stand by your values. Don't don't criticise others. Wow, look for the good. Yeah, look for the good because there's a power in that. It's like the game of life, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Too, Too easy to find problems, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a way, it's a developing a habit of thinking. Yeah. Um, but I just realised I hadn't told you about the third book. What's the third book? The Game of Life. Yeah. By, do you know the author? Can you remember the author's name? Not Swindle, I think. I can't remember the name. Florence. Yeah. We'll look it up for you, for our listeners, and we'll make sure that that's in the event description of this particular podcast. Hey, the second objective is around all of us creating more happiness for ourselves. We're happier individuals 
but it's driven from how we see ourselves. It's driven from inside, not from events outside, not from our iPhone, not from um, other things that are going on outside of us. It's driven from within. How do you generate more inner sustainable happiness? Have you got a tip for us? Be thankful. Elaborate. I just think we've got so much to be thankful for. You know, our food, our life, eating, you know... Our air, I know if we're in Kathmandu, we might be thankful for different things. And I suppose that depends on where we are. But, yeah, um, I think, yeah, being um, even having having life itself is is amazing. You know, it's um, the fact that I was born 20 years after my sister. Like, that's a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) So, so irrespective of what other people have, irrespective of what we have. Just be thankful that you're breathing. Just Mm. be thankful for life. Mm. Maximise every day. Mm, It is. And it's that private thankfulness, isn't it? Because everyone's going to have a different thankfulness. Yeah, sure, absolutely. We can all be thankful for different things. yeah. Yeah. What are you most thankful for? I'm thankful for my connection with God. Yeah. And you're thankful to your dad? Sure. And the people, yeah, who yeah. Um, who have given me encouragement because, yeah. you know, I, I am um, an average person and, you know, I have... I have worked hard always, you know, mm. even as a teacher I had to, you know, take mm. hours to plan, you know, nothing. I don't feel like... You know, I've been privileged as given lots of stuff, but mm. um, I have been given opportunities, mm. so I've seen opportunities. Mm. So I'm thankful for those. Yeah, 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 including the one that you had a month ago in Nepal. Oh, yeah, and, you know, who would have thought I was an author of, co-author of a book? Uh, we got that message, oh, thank you, you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and And the book launches this Sunday. <laughs> and this book is available for anyone who has a property on Airbnb because they could learn amazing things. Yeah. Well, if they were to buy that book, um, a lot of the lessons of this podcast, I'm sure they would sense and feel in the chapter of Hospitable Hosts. But it's a journey, eh? It's a journey. Hey, um, I just want to share something. Go for it. <laughs> I did bring um, a card that my dad had written while he was alive, but it, it was sealed and I knew I wasn't to open it until he passed. And um, that's why I bought the tissues. <laughs> and, you know, I thought to myself, wow, um, I have actually already done something similar for my boys, but I want to do something on a regular basis and drop with my lawyer, um, what's it called? You know, my will lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I just, can I just share sure, some of this? Sure, Yeah. Um, dear Marin, um, I realise that it will not be very long before my life will come to an end, in which case I want to take this opportunity to express my grateful thanks and admiration for the loyalty, love and kindness you have given to me over the extent of your lifetime this far. Um, look, he does go on to say some other things, but I just thought, wow, um, this is really powerful. His appreciation yeah. of of me um, and people right to the very end. Yeah. 
maybe there's a message there for any of us who take on the role of parenting, but also it reinforces your message of just being thankful and living in the moment and enjoying what is. Maren Tuck, it's been absolutely wonderful to share this journey with you. Thank you ever so much for making this a uh, an exceptional uh, episode of yet another journey with Mer- ah, journey with Bernie. <laughs> Cheers, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course, the contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal, and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au. Then ring my equally enthusiastic associate, Taylor Pierce, on 0419-195-953. That's 0419-195-953. Embrace the journey, dear people. Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember... Remember.